welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I am Gavin Silver of Terry Silver Methods. Yes, and that he's actually his husband. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's all coming out in Cobra Kai Season 4. <laughs> How are you, good sir? I'm doing well. How about you? I am fantastic. Can't complain. Got my uh, working out all done already, so thank you for the flexibility. We started about five minutes late. Uh, got a killer workout done. It was, uh, it was. I did just everything in one sitting. It was awesome. Towards the end there, I was... I was starting, not dragging, but I was like, man, it's getting tough. But then on my playlist, I was, I was doing my playlist called Techno Doobie Doo, just because I have so many different like techno ones. Uh, and so this one's called Techno Doobie Doo. I think I made it at the beginning of COVID when I was still in LA. And uh, so it's towards the end. I'm like, I need something to get me through these last, these last few parts. And then uh, the song Sex Killer on the Loose by mm. Carpenter Brut or Brute came on. And that just got me through it because... That song is also, uh, there's this great channel on YouTube called BAM TV, where this individual has made some of the best highlight reels for old school 80s kickboxers, including our own sensei, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham. Mm -hmm. And he made one for the great Jean-Yves Theriot, the Iceman, uh, a Canadian kickboxing champion, uh, one of the greatest of all time for what we typically is called like uh, PKA or American full contact kickboxing. So that's kicks above the waist. Uh, and his highlight reel is set to that song, so it always just gets me pumped up. Uh, by the way, Jean-Yves Theriot had, uh, I believe he he had 69 wins and maybe like six losses and one draw with Don the Dragon. But of his 69 wins, 61 came by knockout. Oh, that's yeah. pretty good. That is damn good. You know, He's you know considered... that's, pretty good for, that's pretty good for someone who wants to avoid fights with Robbie Commons. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, I, with all, I, I, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's so, because of the leg kicks. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but okay. he did fight Rob Kamen. Oh, he did? Yeah, and, and Rob Kamen won. But, but in the... In full contact. In full contact. That's yeah. why I thought you were making a joke about like a rematch or something. But no, they oh, no, actually no. did fight because people forget Rob Kamen. And for those of you who don't know, maybe one of the greatest Dutch kickboxers, maybe one of the greatest Farang, the so foreign Muay Thai fighters of all time. Uh, he was a multi-time world champion in both Muay Thai, what would be considered uh, what was called at that time Oriental rules or what we now kind of mm-hmm. call K1 uh, international rules with, you know, also low kicks. But he was also a full contact champion that means kicks yeah. above the waist and he fought uh i believe he also fought duke rufus under full contact rules because at that time remember really? they were just guys just wanted to fight and if that's what the fight that was offered that was the fight that was offered so uh no he actually beat jean-yves terrio towards the end of jean-yves career where he was having a lot of back problems not saying that was it but uh it was one of his last few fights uh but I finally just got to watch a Jean-Yves uh, retirement fight. It was just put on YouTube. And man, it, he knocks the guy out in the third round. What a way to end your career. That's but good, right? Yeah. He, he's considered by many to be maybe the greatest puncher in uh, PKA or American kickboxing. Uh, he just had very good flowing boxing and just heavy hands. That That's, that's a... I, now I want to go watch those highlight reels. Yeah, I'll send it to you. I'll send it Please to you. Please do. And so that was a long way of saying, I'm great today. That well, it sounds like you're great. I do have one question. Uh, doobie doo. Do you spell the doo d o o like doobop or is it doobie doo like d o do it or be no? Or it's just doobie do. like doop. All right, I like that. Yeah, doobie doo, doobie doo, doobie doo like Scooby Doo. All right, hey, Raggy. Uh, so we, we, I don't know, Scoob. 
Uh, you're doing you're doing the live action version. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> the Matthew Lillard version of yes. Shaggy, not the Casey Kasem uh, yeah. version of Shaggy. Uh, should we get into it? We got we got a lot of questions. We today. do have a lot of questions. So today, I guess we should say our th- our theme is an AMA or uh, a. You a ask us anything. So yes. this is kind of a last second thing. Uh, originally, we weren't going to be able to record today, and then we did. So we had had some questions coming in, uh, and like over the last few months, people will ask questions. So we just real quickly gathered a bunch. I asked a bunch of people this morning, actually, and thank you to everyone that responded. Uh, there's there's a couple that I've been asked that, as I said, I think we should devote a full episode to. Mm-hmm. So I'm. Uh, there's like one of those set aside, but otherwise we are doing uh, an AMA today. But uh, before that, any exciting news, martial arts film wise or anything else for you this week? Um, I feel like if you had asked me that two days ago, there was a clear answer. Yes. Uh, I can't think of uh, film exciting news wise right now, but there was something that popped out. I was going to make a note of it, but then I knew we weren't recording. So I blew it from my head, but. Oh, well, I real quick before I forget, uh, it's official now because Wellgo USA had already announced oh. they were going to be releasing Raging Fire, Donnie Yen's newest mm-hmm. one in the final film of Benny Chan. But it's now officially coming out in August. Uh, and I saw that on Variety, actually. Magazine posted that Wellgo USA officially announced. However, it's still not on their website, so I'm not sure through what medium they did that. But I'm sure we'll have news soon. So probably any major city should be getting the release of Raging Fire, which looks fantastic. Benny Chan's final film. I love Benny Mm. Chan's uh, filmography and his work. And Donnie is obviously handling the action. And we can can only hope. It doesn't look like like it has an excessive amount of martial arts action necessarily. But it does look like there's a couple of great sequences. And it just looks like a fantastic thriller. And it does look like it has a fan, a really good martial arts finale between Donnie Yen and Nicholas Say. So uh, I'm looking forward to looking that. Looking forward to that. Uh, I know this week we both went to theaters to watch new films. Yes. You watched uh, a non-martial arts related one. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to just talk about that real quick. Oh, uh, I went and watched uh, Nicholas Cage's Pig. Um, and it, I don't know, it's, it's a great independent film. It is... Uh, it's a beautiful independent drama. Uh, it is basically, if I were to make a comparison to a, an action film, it is basically like Taken, except the special set of skills that Nicholas's Nicholas Cage's character has, opposed to uh, Liam Neeson, is he reads people's hearts and he is a superb chef. So he unleashes his set of skills on the city of Portland while he looks for his truffle pig, and it is. While I've just made the movie sound like a comedy, like a hobo with a shotgun comedy, it's not. It's pure drama and it's pure, beautiful, wonderful film. Pure, beautiful, it. wonderful film. I love it. That's great. I, on the other hand, went and saw Snake Eyes. Best best movie poster of 2021. It, it is a pretty cool movie poster. And real quick before I say anything, I just want to say there's a lot of people involved in this film who I really like. So I'm sorry when I uh, say this, but I did not like it at all. I didn't... I, just did not think it was a good movie. <laughs> hey, it, I'm really, I was really disappointed to get the text from you because yeah. I, I was going to see it the very next day. Yeah, so it was, uh, it was definitely disappointing. Unfortunately, a lot of poor choices once again. Uh, pretty sure it was post production uh, choices. All right. 
Well, sorry about that. We had some technical difficulties. Anyways, I was talking about Snake Eyes. Post-production, obviously a lot of chaos, I believe. Very shaky camera work, which for a film like this, why? It should be very clear-cut action. Uh, There was... There was things I liked about it. There was great set design. I liked a lot of the Tokyo set pieces. Uh, some cool like wire work there. The finale was okay in the relative scheme of things, but it was just way too little, way too late. So I was very disappointed by that. However, I did watch uh, two new films this week that okay. were very, very good. First one. Boss Level, which I finally got around to watching. The Hulu original film starring Frank mm-hmm. Grillo and Mel Gibson uh, and Michelle Yeoh. And that was fantastic. A great, fun, time loop sci-fi movie. Uh, nonstop go-getting awesomeness. And then just last night, we watched uh, Gunpowder Milkshake. I was going to, I was guessing, because when yes. you said Michelle Yeoh, I'm thinking, so how was that? Excuse me, as I drink my overly thick post-workout shake. Uh, yeah, here, as you drink your milkshake. Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. it was very, very good. Uh, Plot-wise, like nothing original, kind of very similar to John Wick in a sense, you know, the secret agency, blah, blah, this and that. Uh, action-wise, very good. Once again, nothing we haven't really seen before, but well done, clear-cut, easy to watch, uh, no shaky camera baloney, no uh, rapid editing, uh, very good, like hard-hitting action. It's, but it's the in-betweens. It's the direction uh, during the very stylistic moments of the action. And it's the direction throughout that's very, very good. And the story is very well told. The performances are fantastic. Uh, the overall, once again, aesthetic of the film, it's the set design, the costumes, everything is very cool looking. And on top of that, it's a great, uh, as I like to put it, it's an awesome kick-ass action movie. That just happens to be female driven mm-hmm. and it's very organic and natural and they're just badass because they're badass. It's not this, you know, and this is coming from the perspective of like because when people talk to me or, you know, even uh, Jessica quite often when we're watching a lot of these more modern films where it feels to force a lot of the yeah. uh, female empowerment elements to the script and for those of us that are fans of like martial arts cinema for example some of our favorite stars Michelle Yeoh included have been female heroines and we don't even Mm -hmm. think twice about it they're just they're on par if not superior to their male counterparts in certain ways and they're just badass because they're badass and so this film is one of those ones where it's like they all the characters are legit and awesome and it's just oh and they happen to all be female and they're awesome and badass and it's believable and we loved it uh, that, that, i'm happy to hear that i'm going to give that a i'm going to give it a go um both of those films this uh this week give them a, i'll give them a stream a stream yeah um, and i did remember the news it might be just a rumor mill but um i saw on on the twitter sphere that scott atkins might be joining john wick four Oh no, that's real. He's already there. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, because we hadn't talked about it last week, and I'm oh. like, since you didn't bring it up, just I'm like, wait, maybe is it just a rumor? No, it's but yeah, for sure. It's yeah, great. Because there's already a picture of uh, Scott with Marco Zoror. Yes, uh, they're reunited for the first time since Undisputed Three. Yes, uh, it's funny because Marco is actually on Scott Atkins' podcast, mm-hmm. uh, and the interesting part is, if I had to guess, uh, I, I feel it's going to be the unfortunate case where Scott. 
is once again regulated to kind of a supporting villain role, if I had to mm-hmm. guess, you know, a la Expendables 2, a la Doctor Strange. Like anytime he gets into these mainstream pictures, he, that's the kind of role that he's given, which is great. But I mean, he did get the lead villain in Yip Man 4, right? Uh, yeah. But, but I, th- that was very much a. Uh, <laughs> I, I, would, I would say that there's hope, though, with John Wick 4. I don't want to like build us up, but I mean, the, the finale of John Wick 3, we basically got to see three great martial artists go against Keanu Reeves. This is true. This is true. So, you, so it could be one of those Scott Atkins leads up to Donnie Yen. But I just love to see him have more of a real character in these films. Of you course. know what I mean? But because if I had to guess, I think Marco Zarora is probably going to be the main villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Donnie Yen is going to be. Is he going to be a friend? I think so. I think Donnie Yen's going to yeah. be kind of like maybe almost like the Halle Berry character of the last one. But I think a bigger, larger role because, I mean, come on, it's Donnie Yen. Uh, and if you're going to get him in your picture, especially because he's the biggest star in Asia now, you're going to probably give him a significant role. But I, he's supposedly like the equivalent of John Wick, like his counterpart, but probably for like the Asian market, right? Nice. So I, I'm really looking forward to John Wick 4. But that's all my uh, news for this week. Are, are we ready to get started with the A? We're ready to get started. A-A-M-A-A-U-A. So the very first question is going to be a light question. Not that these questions aren't heavy or all heavy, but, and so it's my friend asked me on Twitter, what are the top uh, five Hong Kong comedies? Uh, I think that that's a little difficult to answer. That could be a full episode on its own, but immediately I think of two martial art films that fit into the genre. So therefore I think it's a relevant question to bring to us. Uh, So do you have two top Hong Kong martial art comedies? (laughs) That is a very tough question because as we've talked about on this podcast multiple times and I'm not one to, uh, you know, I always try to be transparent. I think this is going to come up later with one of the later questions. But I, especially when I was younger, was not a big fan of the Hong Kong comedies. I'm not a huge, but I've got into them more as I've gotten older, especially the slapstick style, uh, most famously done by Stephen Chow mm-hmm. and uh, people of that genre. But I know you, for example are much more of a fan of, especially the earlier films, right? Of uh, the Hui brothers, correct? Yeah, specifically anything penned and directed by Michael Hui. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, the man is on, um, I, I put him at the highest level of comedy filmmaker. He took, he took comedy seriously. He didn't, when a character, he, I put him at the level of Peter Sellers of the Pink Panther of Pink Panther fame, because he didn't play comedy stupid, even if he was playing uh, a nitwit, so to speak. He played the nitwit as though the nitwit thought he was smart, mm-hmm. uh, and he, that's why he would write his scripts. But I mean, we could go and get into a whole Michael Huey episode. And it basically, when my friend asked me this question, I was thinking, okay, you're basically asking me what are the top five Michael Huey films, <laughs> but. There are two action film, films that really stand out to me, and I think when I brought this up to you, the same one stood out to you. And well, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you a curveball because, as I said, not the biggest fan, uh, especially when I was younger, of the mm-hmm. the Mo Lei Tao or Mao Li Tao, the nonsensical style that Steve Chow <laughs> was so famous for. I've gone into it more as I've gotten older, and I've tried to watch more of his films. Uh, you know, I appreciate like the Chinese Odyssey ones and stuff. But so you said my two favorites. I mean, if you want to go with five, go with five. Well, how about we do five together? 
Okay. So I'm going to throw in one right now. And the reason why is because I've, I've learned, uh, I liked it when it first came out. I, I've, and I've liked it more and more and more. I love the martial arts in it. But, and the other reason why is because it, I remember a friend of mine who's actually been listening to the uh, podcast quasi regularly. So thank you, Duke. Uh, when this movie first came out, I remember him really liking it. And I was so surprised because he has no interest really in the genre. But so that film's going to be Kung Fu Hustle. Kung Fu Hustle. Great. That's that would be on my list as well. I mean, if for no other reason, I mean, <laughs> there's so many reasons to be on there. Right. But you the comedy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You is one of the just that scene where he's like on the ground and then just pushes the dirt like onto yes. his head. Right. It's the kind of slapstick comedy that isn't as localized as uh, it, other Stephen Chow pictures. It, it is absolutely Warner Brothers Looney Tunes meets. Stephen Chow and gets blended into this. Honestly, I think a classic film. Yeah, because I think they got close with Shaolin Soccer. Yeah, realized how close they got. Realized that it was a decent hit in America. And then for the next picture, they're like, okay, American audiences are familiar enough with kung fu movies, and we can add in, as you said, it's literally what it is: Looney Tunes. Yep. I mean, the the running sequence is, is a Looney Tune yes. sequence for the, and then I mean, of course, I I personally love the snakes the snake scene. It's one of my favorites where he's like, just whistle to the snakes to relax the two cobras, and they, they bite his lips. Uh, so yes, good choice. Thank you. What's uh, what's give me one now? Okay, for me, one of the uh, all time classic comedies is Private Eyes, Michael Huey film with the with his two Huey brothers. Shamefully, uh, I've never seen it. That, that's totally okay. It's uh, I mean, once again, mostly just because I've never been able to get a copy of it. Yeah. Well, in Japan, he was uh, Michael. He was big. He was he came out uh, as like the Mr. Boo series. For some reason, right. the, he was Mr. Boo. And he has like all the movies are like Mr. Boo this Mr. Boo that on the cover. But uh, Private Eyes loved it. There's some homage in there to uh, uh, some stunts, uh, some practical jokes or I don't know, visual jokes that uh Peter Sellers did, and so I was a big Peter Sellers fan at the time, and that one just really stands out as one of the top. And the main villain is, uh, I am so sorry, I'm blanking on the actor's name, uh, the main villain from Enter the Dragon. Shia Kin? Yes, oh. and he is, he's great. He's nice. absolutely phenomenal, wonderful counterbalance, and and Michael Huey just turns in a fantastic performance and they have his brother Sam Huey doing you know martial arts and showing off his great martial arts skill because he works at a bottle factory with straws in the bottles Ooh. and he like takes them out really quick uh, and then of course Ricky Huey is just he, he's he's his presence his dry dry humor presence is just uh, you know fantastic and you know he's 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 missed for sure yeah so uh, excellent choice okay for me so for example probably most people's go-to one also would be the aces go places series which mm -hmm. i'm not a fan of i've i've watched the first three i think and just just not entertained really it's not my cup of tea so i'm gonna throw another curveball out there and excuse me obviously a ton of hong kong action movies have elements of comedy in it that's just normal i mean you, you can even say something like the prodigal son has comedic elements in it right yeah but sure so i'm gonna i i will defend this one because i do believe it is straight up a comedy an action comedy uh -huh. i'm gonna go with city hunter oh very nice i like that because like for example jackie chan's police story all mm -hmm. those movies have comical elements and then poli uh, police story three super cop especially right but city hunter is a nonsensical definitely slapstick wong jing 
anime brought to life comedy action film. And mm-hmm. a lot of this nostalgia factor, having seen it as a kid, but that was one even as a kid. So another example, uh, I love now as an adult, I love the Lucky Star series. But mm-hmm. I remember watching the first Lucky Stars movie when I first saw it, maybe when I was like 13 and loving the action, but all the in-between and stuff. I was like, these guys are just a bunch of perverts. Like, you know, weirded me out the comedy. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, City Hunter was one, as even when I first saw it, I could appreciate the comedy. And once again, it's it's a lot more broad and nonsensical it's, and kind of international. But also it's an international picture in the sense of you have Japanese cast members, American, Australian, British. Uh, actually, I'm not sure if there's any Americans, uh, you know, Hong Kong, so forth, so forth. Well, you know, that's a great choice. And the the thing with Kung Fu Hustle uh, uh, being a throwback to, you know, Looney Tunes, City Hunter is a throwback to, I, I want to say, Buster Keaton or to uh, Harold Lloyd, because just the whole like going the whole op- opening 40 minutes, Jackie Chan is looking for food. <laughs> he's hungry that's uh, i totally forgot about that. that's a great continuous it's, gag and that's a great yes, uh, comparison right there to it's that fantastic era. really really good choice uh, so i could throw you non-curve balls and and mention more michael Huey movies that take us a little later into his career when he's at his full directing ability and then basically when he crossed over from comedy to dramedy but i'm going to skip that for now and I'm going to go with a movie that has impeccable kung fu timing and impeccable comedy timing, Mr. Vampire. Excellent choice. I mean, and that's one of those ones where, because some people might, argue, for example, I would love to say Skinny Tiger, Fatty Dragon, which has a lot mm-hmm. of comedy, but in my opinion, is primarily an action film. That series, and even the Lucky Stars one, it's like it's borderline, right? It can, you yeah. can argue either way. But I uh, I feel like the Mr. Vampire series, a lot of the... the uh, the, the hopping vampire genre. Oh, I'm trying to uh, juncture the juncture genre, juncture in Mandarin. So it's the, the the specifically the Chinese zombie vampire genre. They're almost all comical. None of them are like dark, serious. They are comical in nature. So I think that's a great choice. Thank you. And I actually have the whole box set of all of them. Oh, you can't do. watch them because I don't have an international uh, DVD player right now. I picked them up it's, in Hong it, Kong. It's really a shame. I mean, I the com. Like Mr. Uh, Mr. Vampire 2 has some phenomenal comedy, uh, comedic moments where they're in the present day and the guy's like taking pictures in the in the lab of the vampires and he takes the paper off and then they start coming after him. Uh, I, I think they start going after, I think the person is actually UMBL. But if you go to the first one, it's, it's such a good film. Uh, the comedy sequences within the, within the prison, you know, it's like you're actually jumping out of fear. You're jumping out of uh, martial arts movement and out of comedy. But uh, again, Ricky Hui, uh, where he realizes that the vampires, they don't see, but they, they can sense your breathing. And he's, you know, they're using this bamboo stick to breathe out of. And at one point, he's so relieved to get it. He closes his eyes and he just exhales right in the vampire's face. And the vampire hits the, hits the, the bamboo pole. And he, of course, has the round mark around his mouth. And then, of course, he starts to turn into a vampire. Just some really great comedic work. And that's the kind that's relatable to everybody. So that the thing also we should mention about the, the mole tao, the, especially Stephen Chow's, a lot of the comedies is plays on they play on words it's wordplay just like we have in western comedies so therefore you can't translate it with subtitles i mean you can literally translate it but you can't translate the joke nor would you Mm -hmm. get it even if you're even if you spoke cantonese decently or mandarin decently 
uh, as I say, for me, like at best, I'm what I call elementary proficient or conversationally fluent. But most of those jokes would go over my head. Uh, and so that's what makes it hard to be relatable. But something like that, that's the kind of comedy anybody can get. Yeah. So do we want to stop at four? We've done two each. Or you got another one you want to Well, I think up? we should definitely do five. If that was okay. the question, let's let's uh, finish the question. So I've done two. You've done two. So let's pick a fifth one then uh, off the top of my head. You know what? I am going to let's let's pick one of the Lucky Stars movies. Which one do you think is the funniest? Uh, Winners and Sinners. Winners and Sinners. I agree. I, I agree yeah. because the whole night market scene I love. Yes, the naked the Richard market. Ng scene I love. Yes. Even the, the the finale in the warehouse has its bits and moments. And yeah. uh, Jackie Chan's a whole bit. The 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 you know the keeps continuing to get demoted. Demoted. Yes. Demoted. Yes. Exactly. Yes. The turtle. The yeah. roller skating. So I agree because instinctively I was thinking one of the other two just because of the action. Right. I prefer mm-hmm. the action. The other ones. But I agree. Winners and Sinners. Uh, very funny, great ensemble piece. Uh, and it, it's a lot more, how to put it, not raw, but it's you, it has that spark that then fuels yes. as the Hong Kong way goes. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. They'll just keep making sequels. And when they can't make sequels, they'll make sequels to the sequels, right? And <laughs> yes. so, and I love My Lucky Stars. I love Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars, especially for the action. But there's mm-hmm. something about Winners and Sinners because it was the first one. It just has something special to it. It does. And I mean, Richard Ng is, is phenomenal. And then the way they introduce each character as well. Uh, it just it just works comedically. It works. And actually, uh, Richard Ng's performance in that uh, is is my one of my mother's favorite uh, Hong Kong performances. Oh. She just thinks he's phenomenal. And she she's forwarded some questions as well. OK. Our, our number one Hong Kong, our Hawaii listener. Okay, right on. Hello, so, Gavin's mom. I, I would love to meet you one day, hopefully. Uh, we can all do a Hawaii trip. So let, let's go over our, our top five again, then in no particular order. Kung Fu Hustle, mm-hmm. City Hunter. Mm-hmm. Private Eyes, Mr. Vampire, and Winners, Winners and, sinners? and Sinners. Yeah, Perfect. I think that's a great list. It is. Okay, real quick. Give me a second. Okay, so a little bit of uh, technical difficulty there again. Sorry about that. Uh, But now on to our next question. So we did one of yours. We'll do one of mine. So I have a question from one of my best buddies, uh, Max, who uh, I met in China. We taught English together for many years. Excuse me. He is now based in Florida, originally from the Buffalo, Buffalo, New York area. And also a lifelong martial artist in a sense. He grew up doing Gojo Ru Karate and then has always had an interest in martial arts movies. Uh, Living in China, we used to just, well, at that time, drink a lot of beer, watch a lot of Kung Fu. We'd go to Hong Kong together, watch more Kung Fu. Uh, Missed the guy a lot. But he asked a great question that's non-film related. And he's kind of asked me this one over the years because he's tried to find a gym down there. And Florida has a bunch of great martial arts training, but it's hard. I think this is an excellent question. So what he asked was how to find a good martial arts gym that focuses more on conditioning and proper sparring as opposed to traditional martial arts focused on things like kata for someone who really isn't looking to fight competitively. So we did the whole episode on how to pick the right martial arts school for you. But I like this question because we didn't necessarily go over this very specific thing. So as he said, 
He doesn't want to go too old school, traditional, kind of like what he used to do, where it's things just focused on kata. And especially, there's nothing wrong with kata. And kata can be very effective if you have great instructors who know how to focus on what's called, uh, I think, the bonkai, which is the, uh, and I may be pronouncing that wrong, but bonkai, the practical application of the kata, which 99.9% of the time, most traditional schools don't know how to do. They just don't do it. Like the ones I went to as a kid, they, they couldn't answer that. It's like, well, why are we doing this? Just because. You know what I mean? Uh, and it's great because actually Stephen Wonderboy Tom, uh, Thompson, who I'm a huge fan of, uh, uh, at their school, the one run by his father, they do do that. They teach the kata, then they teach the bonkai, uh, which is the practical application of the katas. So for Max, he's obviously looking for a gym that does great conditioning, uh, proper sparring, but you not like throwing down like even a hundred percent, like probably light controlled sparring, you know, not wanting to fight. So you have a few options. I think instinctively, probably one of the best martial arts you can go to uh, go into with that uh, would be Muay Thai. And I'm not just saying kickboxing, even though like I consider myself a kickboxer because I study all the arts of kickboxing. I love Muay Thai. I love Savat. Uh, I love American or Dutch style kickboxing as well. But the reason I say Muay Thai is because the Muay Thai structure and setup of a traditional Muay Thai class is going to be great. Everyone can do it. You do your conditioning, you do your bag work, you do your partner work, you do your pad work, and then usually some sort of light sparring. And a lot of the traditional Muay Thai gyms, they won't even do like hard, hard sparring in the gym, even for their fighters, uh, just because in the traditional Thai style in Thailand, you're fighting so much like every weekend, you don't have to do hard sparring in the gym. Uh that being said, so if, you know, you don't necessarily have specifically Muay Thai or maybe uh, you're looking to go into a more a, a, all a, a well-rounded, I shouldn't say well-rounded, an all-around system, all-encompassing that does everything, the striking, the grappling, takedown, submissions, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what you could do is you could look for an MMA gym, but I think probably the MMA gyms that have the best programs are so like the big famous ones usually also have like as our sensei famously calls them civilian classes so just like sensei uh, uh pd shookafoot cunningham he has what he's called he calls his civilian classes which i go to sometimes just to get extra pad work in but these are for people strictly wanting to do conditioning wanting to learn the techniques we do give and take usually in that setting they don't do any sparring but so uh, sometimes the really successful MMA gyms, because they have like superstar UFC fighters and stuff, I mean, that's how they're making a lot of their money as well. They can also have great facilities and great kind of civilian-like classes. Sometimes some of the lower end MMA gyms are the up-and-coming ones that don't have any stars. You know, it might be the lines get blurred a little too much, right? Like you have fighters and quote-unquote civilians training together. And unfortunately, a lot of these fighters can be hotheads or meatheads or just all around jerks. And then they're going to be bashing on the civilians, right? Which is not cool also. So, I mean, when you go into these gyms, you're going to get a vibe right out the get-go. And if they have a warm, welcoming presence and it's kind of like, okay, yeah, no. And you clearly state what you want to do, what you don't want to do. And uh, if they... If you can build a good connection with them right out the gate, I think that's a good idea. Uh, but And if you're feeling hesitant or maybe if they're straight up like, well, no, we're, we're mostly a fighter's gym. It's just fighters and it's cool. All right. You know, I'll step away. I think uh, so. The best thing I would suggest would be 
a very successful, well-established MMA gym that has clear boundaries. So for example, uh, I started off, well, I first started off kickboxing at the Anderson Academy, but the first like fighters gym I trained out of was AKA American Kickboxing Academy in San Jose when I was doing my senior year of university at uh, UC Santa Cruz. And they, they kind of had three different groups. They had the civilian classes. They had the fight team, the kickboxing fight team, because at that time it was still AKA start off as a straight kickboxing gym. They were just having a, a few of their superstar, like quote unquote superstar UFC fighters at that time. Like when I was there, it was Josh Koscheck, John Fitch. They were the biggest names. So they still had what was like their, what I would call semi-pro kickboxing team. And then the UFC fighters, the MMA guys. Now the, the MMA end took off so much because they have some of the greatest of all time. They're training out of their DC, Daniel Cormier, uh, you know, uh, Cain Velasquez, uh, Khabib, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So they actually opened up a whole second gym just for the pros, kept the name on the other one. The other one was straight up for like civilians. Right. And so that would be the ideal setup is, uh, you know, they have distinctly labeled on their schedule fighters class, non-fighters class. That way you still get the conditioning. You still get the drills. It's still taken seriously. If you don't have that kind of option, I think uh, like a Muay Thai gym is really good because typically no one's forced to fight. Uh, and really, you just kind of got to play it by ear. So that's kind of my advice. Uh, and then once in a while, you'll have that special school, which is a traditional martial arts school that also knows how to teach practically and modern in a sense, kind of like uh, uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson's family's gym, uh, Upstate Karate, which is in South Carolina. So it would be upstate of where Max lives, mm -hmm. up a few states. No, that's a great answer. No, zero, zero to add. Yep, so I think that's kind of the best way to go about that. So all right, your next question. Okay, I'm just gonna go in order, although some of them, maybe, maybe we'll start to organize it. We'll see how it goes. Which martial arts actor's skills translate most realistically to street applications? And I think there could actually be a long list here. Mm -hmm. I think just for the sake of time, maybe we each pick one. Sure. Uh, uh, or one from different continents. I don't know. You, you pick as many as you want. Man, I'll pick, that's, I'll, that's a, I'll that's match a you. very solid question. But the, the one thing I want to establish first is we have to remember a lot of martial arts stars have never claimed to be real fighters. You know, you have someone like Jackie Chan who's always said, I do movie fighting. I do movie fighting. But the advertising and marketing in the West, especially when he first came out, they love to try to, oh, he's so lethal and this and that. You know what I mean? It's this false sense of advertising because they know that's what... Western audiences, you know, we like legitimacy, but also we like this idea of the mystical and, oh, they can, you know, and everything after Bruce Lee was kind of like, oh, the, it's unfortunately almost like a stereotype, the, yeah. the deadly Asian fighting arts, right? But a lot of these guys have never claimed to be real fighters in the street, like Jet Li, Jackie Chan, none of these guys. And so it'd be unfair to try to even take them and put them in that situation. Uh, so as far as, and the question was martial arts stars, right? Uh, what martial art actors? So it doesn't have to be a star. So there, there's now leeway, and I'm, I, my list has already gone from one to three, but that's okay. Which martial arts actors' skills translate most realistically to street applications? Hmm. And that's also tricky because like some martial artists could be doing some skill, but they have we know they have different skills. I don't know. Right. Uh, uh, I, I, I might just throw out a name right here. Go for it. 
I'm going to go with, uh, and I usually mispronounce his name, so you're going to have to correct me. You've, you've had the opportunity to give, do give and take with him. Olivier Gruner. Gruner. Yeah. Oh, wow. Great choice. Yes. So Olivier Gruner most famously uh, started in Nemesis, which is like one of the most popular B sci-fi movies ever made. He's done a bunch of films, uh, the circuit series. People forget he was an actual world champion kickboxer. And before that, he was a Marine and he was on the French national team with my first coach, Jerome Turcon. Uh, very legitimate in his skills. Uh, the last time I did give and take with him was about two years ago. He, he came in and it was just uh, Sensei PD and I. And so he invited him in there. It was like, it was so surreal. I'm like, oh my God, I'm doing give and take with Olivia Gruner. <laughs> uh, and even at he's in phenomenal shape, even in his his age right now. And even at this age, he is one of the hardest, fastest lead leg roundhouse kicks I've ever felt from uh, what I would call more of like uh, a non-switch kick. So not the Muay Thai mm-hmm. style switch kick, just bringing it up and snapping it out. I was so impressed with how strong and fast he still was. But uh, I think that's a great example because even his style on film he keeps that yes. realistic kickboxing style he has done hong kong-esque choreography before especially his role in martial law but even then he's still keeping that uh kickboxing style and he's very well versed in both what we'd call like i'd call european style kickboxing because he's he comes from the french background obviously he learned some savat he did the film savat a uh, dutch style but he also has mm-hmm. a very good muay thai base the best example is in uh his very first starring role, yes, uh, Angel Town. Yes, he does a whole training sequence at the Jet Center because that's where mm-hmm. he was training at the time. Our coach PD was training him, uh, and he does two different like styles. He's doing more of like what's called like you know like the Western style American kickboxing. Then he switches over to Muay Thai, and he's always kept that strong foundation. Yeah, in his fight scenes as well. Yes, yeah, so, I mean that. That's that's. I reading into that question. That's why I pick him because I mean there are other people there, and we can we can continue talking about the other people that I have in mind that you have in mind. But it's are they doing? I'm actually thinking. Okay, you're asking if what they're doing on screen can it be applied to the street? And this is the first person that comes to mind. It's specifically because of Angel Town and what he's doing in Angel Town. Yes, it can be applied in the streets. Okay, so I'm gonna go with kind of a cop out answer. But I'm gonna defend it real quick. I'm gonna go with Benny the Jet. Okay. Because I don't think that's. I mean, I don't see how any of that is a cop out. Well, because I mean, it's so you know one of the greatest kickboxers of all time, having two of the greatest fight scenes of all time, right? But and I'm gonna go uh, explain why. So for example, once again, back to Sensei Sugarfoot, our uh, PD. He did Riding Wrongs, which I love that fight scene with you and Biao, right? But for a lot of that fight, he's doing kind of more traditional karate style punches. They have that whole sequence where yes. he's doing, and yes. uh, our sensei has a background in karate, so it's fine. But some of the stuff in that fight isn't necessarily, it doesn't translate onto the uh, street, right? And even yeah. uh, like a No Retreat, No Surrender, you get to see him do a lot of great kickboxing and stuff. But he, he didn't have as many you know roles as Sensei Benny's iconic fights. But the reason why Sensei Benny, I'm also going to say, is because, yes... Wheels on meals. You watch the way he he kickboxes, 100% usable on the street. Clinch with knee mm-hmm. he uses, Western boxing, uh, head mm-hmm. movement, uh, feints, all sorts of very realistic uh, kicks and punches and strikes. Yes, it takes a high level to pull those off in the street, but very hard-hitting, very authentic. Dragons Forever, I feel, goes a little more into... Uh, Kind of movie fighting, uh, uh, movie fighting. perfect, yeah. a great way of putting it, but still fantastic, obviously. Still, the use of elbows and clinch work and mm-hmm. knees and actually like rolling out and stuff and great. But then the third fight that people might forget about 
that I think uh, is a great example is gross point blank. That is that's that is a perfect fight, and uh-huh. that would definitely translate. Where he fights screen. John Cusack, he's fighting a guy yeah. much taller than him. It's a little more realistic, still movie fighting, but he does some great uh, like kickboxing type stuff. You know, it's hard hitting. There, it's just I think that's a great example. So I'm going to go with Benny the Jet, and also simply, uh, and then we we all know Benny the Jet has an extensive grappling background too. He's a very well rounded fighter. So yeah, yeah. Do we want to stop it there? Yeah, we we'll stop it there. Going. Okay, sounds okay. good. Uh, so this is uh, next question. Excuse me, is from our good friend, loyal listener, Sifu Peter Nguyen from Legacy JKD. I talk about Peter all the time. Hello, Peter, and he listens. Uh, he asked me a great question: What martial? Uh, uh, let's hear. Oh, okay. Oh, I actually misread it earlier. <laughs> oh, so now it's an even better uh, question. Now it's a completely different question. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So the question is, what martial artist do you think had great potential but never really or fully crossed over into action cinema? Peter, wow. I read it earlier because it was like early in the morning and I still hadn't worked out. I read what martial arts, like that's as a, a style. That, that's, a, that's a really interesting question, too. Yeah, but I think this one... Uh, is an excellent question. Yes. So what martial artist do you think had great potential but never really or fully crossed over into action cinema? And that's what I love that he says fully, meaning they attempted a little bit and then could have done uh, more. So thank you, Sifu Peter, for that uh, question. Uh, I'm literally just rereading it, make sure I copy it. Yes, so what martial artist? So right out the gate, and once again, okay, I'm going to say it for both of us, cop-out answer. Our own sensei, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham, Mm -hmm. had the Mm -hmm. most potential in the world uh, as seen from not just his role in uh, Righting Wrong, showing he could do Hong Kong style action and uh, No Retreat, No Surrender, but his guest starring role on the Kung Fu, The Legend Continues TV series, which was supposed to be a launching pad for him in his own spinoff series. You see how good of an actor he is. You see how great of a performer he is, how he could take the most basic American TV choreography of that time and make it look good. And it's just unfortunate things never panned out for him. So Agreed. That's right out the gate. It's not fair for us to even have him as the example because we're biased. So now let's each pick one. Do you have anyone in mind? Okay, I have another biased example. Uh, Don Nyan. Great, great Uh example. And we're going to say non-biased because I 100% agree with you and I consider uh, Sifu Don a long-distance friend who I've got to meet and train with once. I think he's one of the best traditional kung fu guys that I've ever met in the sense of his physical training and how he takes it. But you roll with this one. Okay. So yeah, I, I don't know what I'd like, I don't know what to say about this one because basically Hollywood missed the opportunity. I don't know how many times I've sat through movies with, with tough guy characters, faux play by faux tough guys. And there's nothing wrong with an actor portraying a role, but when you know that there's Don out there, uh, available, I don't know why I shouldn't say available, but when you know Don is in this world and he's worked on film, you cast him. I mean, I would cast him in a heartbeat. And I would, I mean, I think your, your comment about PD as well is great. Uh, a perfect example, slipping back to PD for a second, is Rage, Rage and Honor. Mm-hmm. He's in that film. He really doesn't get a fight sequence except very early on. He could have had more fighting in that film as well. So, uh, I mean, he's just wonderful on-screen presence he can he can portray a role without fights uh but i mean just wonderful on-screen presence and just beautiful lines but with don it's also like wonderful on-screen presence and pure power you see the power 
and what he could portray. And, you know, unfortunately, I think we only have one film to show for it, and that's on Hollywood. Yeah, and I 100% agree. And here's the deal about Sifu Don. Just from his one iconic role, he could... You could put him in a box and he would still be one of the best villains you've ever seen. He just has that presence. However, I would have have loved to see him as the protagonist and get to. So that being said, I think he could be a villain in any role, major motion picture, anything. And he's great just because the eyes and the glare and the seriousness and the real authenticity uh, to his aura. But I would have loved to see the opposite. Which we never got I, to I see. I agree. I mean, uh, you, we did the nitro kick uh, workout right. when you were down here. Like, just uh, the, the personality that you and I know from in person just comes across so well on, on camera as well. Hey, I'm Don Lam, you know. Yeah. Uh, Great smile. Welcome to as Nitro well. Kick. Yeah, welcome to Nitro Kick. It's like he could have easily, portray- I mean, with all due respect to some of the Jeff Speakman roles, he could have easily taken those Speakman movies up a notch uh, from. I, I, I'm not trying to say we should cannibalize the movies that we had, but um, they're like street night. Mm. It would have been nice to have seen him in that role. Well, uh, or, I, or guess, another... I guess we could have put him in some of uh, the other Jeff's movies as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, if you ever want to talk about like miscast, mm-hmm. uh, Martial, Martial Law 2 the and Martial Law 1, both both villains not that we're trying to cast him as a villain he should have been in the villain role and either of those films much better martial arts uh final fight potential in that and then you know you're absolutely right he could have played any one of the particularly the universal soldier reboots as the protagonist come on good call good call thank you Uh, so my choice is actually an easy one he is maybe my great uh, favorite uh american kickboxer outside Mm -hmm. of our sensei uh, Dale Apollo Cook. Nice. And I always thought it was such a bummer because he did like five or six movies. He actually did a Hong mm-hmm. Kong one with Cynthia Khan, uh, uh, Dead End of Basingers or whatever. Uh, Bas- yeah, I, I don't know how to say that word. But uh, and then he did another uh, Western one also with Cynthia Khan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he did, uh, which I've seen like the fight scenes and stuff from YouTube, which are okay. And then he did uh, an atrocious film, American Kickboxer. <laughs> two right is yes. that which one it is I, I haven't even found part one yet but i've seen two multiple times yeah. well I, american kickboxer the first one is the one with keith vitale and stuff which is an actual pretty good solid movie and has some good mm-hmm. uh, in retrospect some good I, kickboxing I haven't, seen, I haven't seen it but american kickboxer 2 is atrocious i think we both watched it recently on tubi or yes, something we did. yes uh yeah just bad but uh He's, I've always liked his screen presence and the example I'm going to put out there of a film of his I have and I've watched and I actually love it, and it's a great you can't even call it a B movie it's like a C movie another one shot over in the Philippines and stuff is Triple Impact yes not, <laughs> not Double Impact Triple Impact because uh, there's there's three of them uh, including Ron Hall the great Ron Hall who I actually mm-hmm. uh, ran into at the New Beverly screenings he was yep. right there next to us I didn't realize it was him because he had a hat and I didn't recognize him I felt so bad uh because he was taking a picture with some of those guys we met. Yes. And so I messaged him later on Facebook because I follow him on Facebook. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry, Mr. Hall. I didn't recognize you, blah, blah, blah. But uh, that film, Triple Impact. So the reason why is, was Dale Apollo Cook a Shakespearean, you know, properly trained, amazing actor? Absolutely not. Uh, was he even a great actor necessarily? Uh, I'm not going to say he wasn't. 
but I'm also not going to say uh, that he was, but he could get the job done. And I really liked his personality on screen came off. He, he kind of has, you know, he's from Oklahoma and he has that kind of Southern uh, twang to him and likability. But on top of that, his martial arts skills are so good. And when you watch him in real life, you can, he started off in, you know, the American full contact style above the waist, then transitioned to become a world champion in WKA. So what at the time Oriental rules are like K1 and Muay Thai. He fought a bunch of uh, Thai fighters. He was one of those early pioneer guys to do that and beat him. And then at uh, the end of his career, went over to Japan and did some like Shuto MMA fights and won and became a champion in that. Uh, and so in this film, the fight scenes are, they're a lot of fun. They're, they're definitely not Hong Kong style, but they're way mm-hmm. better than say like American kickboxer too. They're, mm-hmm. they're more of that Western style, but with some great choreography, some great kicks. Cause he's a fantastic kicker. His background's Taekwondo. And even in the ring, he had a great, what's called like a cyclone or tornado kick, mm-hmm. uh, great spinning wheel kicks, you know, super, he, he do like a pump axe kick, you know, his, he has all the right skills. As I said, I love his, uh, kind of his, his unique personality. And I am going to go off and say he, he was a good actor for the genre. He, you know, the, the comical elements, especially, uh, and I just felt it was such a shame he never got a better platform for him yeah. to do that. Uh, and so that's my choice. Dale that's Apollo great, Cook. And anybody that wants to check out Triple Impact. Yeah. And, you know, we could go on with this list forever. Same with like the previous list, uh, uh, previous question. I just want to throw out one name just to, just because I know you and I would both agree on this. But Chuck Jeffries as well. Oh, yeah. Wow. Wow. That's, that's a great one because he did get... Uh, I'd say a lot more proper roles in a sense, but never mm-hmm. that starring vehicle he should have. Chuck yeah. Jeffries could have been a mainstream. Like, here's the deal. Dale Paulo Cook would have been a great straight-to-video action star right up there with Don the Dragon and all those guys and actually had some more flashy technique. But Chuck Jeffries could have been a mainstream star. Yeah. He had the acting ability. He had the comical chops. Uh, apparently, I think he's like he won a local Emmy for writing. Uh, from what I read online. Yeah, so he's an extremely talented guy. So I think that's a great choice. Okay, Uh, next question. That's on you. Okay, this next question I'm going to ask, I think in theory it's an easy question, uh, easy answer, because I think we're going to refer them to to, uh, your friend that just asked the question, Peter. Uh, What happened to Jeet Kune Do? And it's kind of, right? Holy cannoli. That is, uh, wow. That, you know, in probably one of the, unfortunately, may he rest in peace, uh, Big Sean, when from the previous dudes of Kung Fu. They had done a mm-hmm. few uh, episodes kind of on this. And once again, uh, I am a newbie to the history and politics of both Wing Chun and Jeet Kune Do in a sense, because there's so many branches and stuff. But in the, I think it was in the mid to late 90s, they tried to get a lot of the original JKD guys together. And they mm-hmm. tried to form what I believe was called the JKD Nucleus, where okay. they were trying to bring like, because what people have to remember is the different eras and branches of Bruce Lee's study and training with students in America are completely different. The Seattle era from where, when he first immigrated back to America, that what's pretty much more considered like non-classical Wing Chun. They're, the stuff they learned was very straightforward, aggressive, blast, 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 blast. You know, mm-hmm. like it, from what I understand, they were making Wing Chun even more streamlined. And then it's like from there, he went to the Bay Area. And in the Bay Area, 
there was an experimentation a lot more with, especially after the Wong Jack Man fight, you know, with Western boxing and conditioning. And that's where I've had the privilege of training with Sifu Leo Fong a few times. And I know for a fact that Bruce was doing a lot more Western boxing at that time because he's told me about it. Like, you know, we'd be in the middle of class and Bruce would be trying to teach him the left hook. And a lot of these, you know, traditional Kung Fu guys, you know, they couldn't do the left hook. So he'd tell me to come over and said, Leo, hit the bag. So then I do a few big old left hooks and rock the bag and let's see how it works. So I know at that period he's doing that. Then he gets down to L.A. And I think there's even more of a change in just being exposed to different martial arts and more conditioning and the physical training that went with it. Uh, But as far as, you know, Jeet Kune Do itself. So that's why they were trying to bring all these different instructors together, because I think even instructors from the same era were taught different things. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, if you look at Ted Wong's lineage, Mm -hmm. the Dan and Asano lineage. And Jerry Poteet, all guys from the L.A. area. Dan and Asano had begun before the L.A. area technically started. They're all very different. Uh, And then from those branches, there's more branches and branches and roots and this and that and politics. And so in the 90s, they were forming what I think was called the JKD Nucleus, uh, where they were trying to bring together all these different instructors and kind of codify it maybe in a sense. But then I think even that ended up not working out. And I think maybe there still is a group called that, but then some instructors were not part of it. So I think because it was an ever uh, changing and evolving art and system and probably would have kept changing had Bruce uh, stayed alive, there would always be. And because he didn't at some points, he did have like a, a, a quote unquote codified type setup. And I believe that was during the L.A. era. And mm-hmm. so that's why, you know, there's only technically like two or three certified instructors like Guru Dan, uh, I think Ted Wong and maybe like one other. But there's other guys that trained with him for a long time, say, like in the Seattle era and we're learning a whole different thing. So it's really hard to say, like, what happened to Jeet Kune Do as much as there's been many different interpretations of it based off of. So let's say you're going back to your Sifu, Sifu, Sifu or your, you, you know, depending when they trained with Bruce, uh, what Bruce had experienced by that point and how they continued with that training. And so, for example, some of these guys, so this is also kind of in a representation of Jeet Kune Do, some of them took what Bruce taught them and held on to that and was like, mm-hmm. this is it, that's that, we're not changing it. And from what I've heard, I'm not 100%, that's kind of more like the Ted Wong lineage. He took what mm-hmm. Bruce taught him and that's what he did, right? Great. Guru Dan also went on to uh, become like an expert or master in all these different martial arts. He was the kind that in the 70s was bringing over uh, Ajahn Chai, I think is his name, one of the like first, he brought over one of the first Muay Thai masters and he went to Thailand, trained Muay Thai. He brought over uh, Sensei Yuri, the uh, Shuto expert. So, and he brought over uh, for Savat, he had, uh, not Nicholas Sonyak, uh, uh, oh my gosh. And I've met the individual and I have him in my head. Uh, Salim Asli, Salim Asli, uh, Asli, I think. Uh, okay. So once again, bring in all these different styles and this and that. Uh, and then you have other guys from maybe like the LA area who didn't train with Bruce as thoroughly or as much and then still went off to teach Jeet Kune Do, right? And so some people are like, well, those guys aren't really certified or, you know, and Sifu Peter's a great one who, cause he's actually seen yes. some of the record books and been like, oh, that guy. He did, he, you know, he only clocked so many hours with Bruce, but then the, the 
the argument also is, oh, well, there was a lot of training like at Bruce Lee's house and this and that. So that's kind of what some people argue. But what I also like is there's individuals that are kind of very transparent. For example, back to Mayhi Recipes, Big Sean from Dudes of Kung Fu. He studied with Steve Golden, who is a student from the L.A. Chinatown area era. He's in one of those famous pictures. And he talked about how after he was done with Bruce, he actually went on to extensively study Wing Chun. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to say for a long time with an instructor from Hong Kong that was going to university like in Oregon or something where he ended up. I forget. So he went on to, you know, learn and adapt and do his own stuff as well. So is it, it would it be would it be safe to say that people who might be interested in the art that they reach out to Legacy Ji Kundo uh, run by P- Sifu Peter Nguyen? Well, I would say it would if you're interested in learning Jeet Kune Do and you're interested in hosting a seminar because he goes around and teaches seminars and stuff, reach out to him. Uh, he is, I know he's a very busy dude. Uh, and so uh, reaching out and just asking random questions might be like, whoa, what the heck? Yeah, yeah. But if if you want to learn Jeet Kune Do and you want to learn authentic Jeet Kune Do, definitely look into Legacy JKD. They're on Instagram. You can find them there, Legacy JKD. Uh, as for physical locations, I'm not sure if they have any left right now. Yeah. Uh, I know they had one in Vegas, but yeah, you can reach out to them on Instagram, Legacy JKD, and uh, see who Peter's a great instructor. And if you, your school is perhaps interested in hosting a seminar, definitely reach out to them. But uh, as for if you're interested in learning more about JKD and stuff, as for individuals who I think are great resources online, there's uh, Sifu Mark Stewart, who uh, trained both under Guru Dan and Ted Wong, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and he's got a YouTube channel now uh, up and running. So definitely look him up. Sifu Mark Edward Stewart, I believe. Sifu Mark uh, Stewart. Uh, he He's based out of Thailand now. And he and I constantly kept missing each other because I actually trained out of the gym that he started. But he wasn't in that exact location anymore. But uh, when I was training Savat with my Savat coach, Dominique Fontana Rosa. But... Uh, and then you could always go back and listen to old episodes of Dudes of Kung Fu, which mm-hmm. is a great resource. Yes. And even our good friend Sifu Alex's Kung Fu Genius podcast, he has uh, JKD people on there uh, and so forth. So I think that's probably where you're going to get your best resources. Uh, and I know that was a very long, convoluted answer, and I probably didn't really answer it. But hopefully, maybe it'll give you a uh, starting point for you doing more research. Now, uh, I do have a question. Mm-hmm. In the interest of time, because are we... Do we want to like break these up? I was thinking about moving the Bushido questions all in a package, maybe to a later time. Okay. For a later time. How many Bushido have, questions do you have? Well, we have a Bushido question from James, like what does it mean to us? And can martial arts teach the patient? Okay. Teach Let's, patient. So, we'll do a whole episode just on Bushido. I like yeah. that. Uh, uh, and so do you want to end with like a couple of, you get a couple of questions in and then we get like maybe a couple of fun questions. Yes. And then we... Uh, Let's do that. Let's do, okay. uh, uh, well, we'll save. I know we both have questions about Hong Kong cinema and the yeah, change I think and stuff. That's what... We're going to, we're going to save those. So yep. my homie, Aaron, if you're listening, we'll get to that one next time. I have two more fun ones. Fun, okay. easy, quick. Okay. So how about I got, you? I think I, I think I might have, yeah, yeah. You know, I do have I do have one fun. I have three fun ones, but one's really fun. OK, I'm going to do my first one. Very simple. So my uh, my buddy Tiger, who I talk to all the time online, and we're probably going to be I'm going to probably start doing just short episodes with him because we always great. have these great conversations. 
Good. And uh, he's, he's got a, a very unique, vast interest and knowledge of martial arts similar to my own. But he once asked me this question. This was a long time ago. He's asked me much better questions, but I thought this was a great one <laughs> to answer just because it was kind of, uh, it's an easy one. The best Taekwondo movies or movies to feature Taekwondo. So I already, because he asked me this a long time I mean, ago, but off the top of my head, I already know the first ones that come to mind. I mean, like the the one that really showcases Taekwondo to the U.S. audience has to be the best of the best. Perfect. Exactly. That's one of them. So for me, my go-to are, and so we'll start off with best of the best. And for those that don't know, 1989 picture uh, starring Philip Reed, Eric Roberts, Simon Reed, James Earl Jones, et cetera, et cetera, uh, inspired by the real life uh competition experience of brothers philip and simon ree mm -hmm. uh, in taekwondo but it's pretty much the story of the american taekwondo team coming to get the training to fight the korean team so it's mm -hmm. very much like an olympic type setup and they go to korea etc it's a sports training movie great highly underrated actually it's on netflix right now definitely check it out yeah. uh, first time i think it's ever been on netflix well no because when it popped up it said i had already liked it so it must have been on there years ago uh but uh, i digress uh Fantastic film. Uh, the Taekwondo. Now, keep in mind, the American team is primarily actors. In fact, mm -hmm. they're all actors aside from Philip Ree. Yes, yeah. uh, Chris Penn did have martial arts experience and he's best friends with Don the Dragon Wilson. Uh, Eric Roberts trained really hard for the movie and does, I think, a pretty uh, good job as a non classically trained martial artist. But uh, no Keith Vitale. Yeah, I know. That was, as I said, one of my the missed casting opportunities. But then the, the Korean team is all like real martial artists and they're yeah. fantastic, even if they're not necessarily Taekwondo in background like James Liu. But uh, I think it's I think it's a great example of the cultures. And I would love so that competition they do at the end is the kind that I would love to see because it's not very accurate to either ITF or what is now WF, uh, originally WTF, which mm -hmm. is like Olympic Taekwondo. Uh so there used to be WTF. Yeah, I think they changed it now thanks to online culture and WTF standing for what the boop. But uh, what they do, it's more like full contact point sparring, which is uh, or like full contact point karate is more what it's like yeah. they're doing to be specific. I guess there's a difference between Taekwondo and karate because most Taekwondo competitions like Olympic Taekwondo, there's no gloves and they can't punch. It's just all kicks. and. Yeah. In all honesty, because I just watched some of the recent Olympic Taekwondo uh, activity and not take away from any of the athletes, I don't really like where it's going right now. It's very much, it's it's not as explosive or as powerful as it used to be. Uh, and I, that has to do with the rules, not on the actual martial artists. Yeah. So what, the way they fight at the end of this movie, it's very much like, imagine kickboxing, like a kickboxing fight. But the second someone lands a clean, full blow, the action stopped, Right. And that's how they, they do it at the end of Best of the Best. And I would love to see that as an actual, like, more competitive style, full contact point karate. So people can get knocked out. Because in traditional point karate, you have to control your blows and you're not supposed to knock people out. So Best of the Best is one of them. The other one that comes to mind for classic, so I'm going to give two more examples. One's going to be, like, classic traditional Taekwondo, and then one's going to be like modern, more maybe ITF, like aerial explosive, uh, you know, kind of modern day Taekwondo. So the traditional one has got to be when Taekwondo strikes. 
Mm-hmm. AKA Sting of the Dragon Masters, which stars, yes, it's got, you know, Angela Mao, who had her black belt in Hop Keto. It's got Wang and Sik, who is also a Hop Keto yes. uh, expert. Very similar in the kicking techniques of Taekwondo, but it also stars the father of American Taekwondo, Master Jun Ri. And the, the high level of Taekwondo he displays is just beautiful, but it's also that very much traditional grounded style of Taekwondo. And yes, he does some like jump kicks, which are beautiful, but it's not as there's no gymnastics. There's no tricking. It's very solid, straight punches, straight side kicks, pump kicks, uh, almost kind of like similar, more similar to Tong Sudo in a sense, like mm-hmm. the Korean karate quote unquote. But, uh, I think that's a great display because that was his style. And yes, he had learned lots of different other things and he had some unique punching techniques he did, but you, that's real Taekwondo on display him and some of the other actors in there. And then obviously you also have some of the Hapkido people yeah. in there. So it's just a great display for Taekwondo. The, the plot of the film is focused on Taekwondo. This picture was also released as sting of the dragon masters, but the, the main title that I've always known it as, and that I think was released I think it was released as both in America, but when Taekwondo strikes. My it's modern a, example would be City of Violence. That's a great one. Yeah, that's which is one. much more that explosive aerial mm-hmm. jumps. And once again, not tricking so much. There's like villains that do tricking, but just vi- they're just doing crazy powerful jump kicks. You know, it's just the speed and power of these guys shows the evolution of the art compared to, say, when Taekwondo strikes back in like 1973 to now just like all martial arts, how they've taken it up that notch. Cause these guys are real authentic Taekwondo performers. Uh, actually the director stars in the film and he, cause he's a real Taekwondo guy. And so mm-hmm. does our fight choreographer. Who's a real Taekwondo individual. And the, the fight scenes just show and at the end with the, all the villains that they're fighting are all great. And some of them are a little more flashy, a little more aerial, but I just think it's a very great underrated film. So those are my Taekwondo movies. So the one, the one scene that pops out to me outside of, you know, obviously this thematic best of the best, but like, and outside of the great films that you just chose, I really like the final fight scene of young master, uh, not for Jackie Chan's side displaying Taekwondo, but I also think that's more Hapkido at times, but but the display of of kicks mm-hmm. for me and and there are, I I've always leaned towards that as as at least a strong display of Korean martial arts. Well, once again, that's Wong and Sik, who's also yes. in, uh, when Taekwondo strikes, as I mentioned, yeah. who's he's a villain in that one. He was a good guy in Hapkido. Yes, uh, and. Yeah, his his kicks are incredible. And it's kind of the difference between that's the great thing about the young master. He does all of the what would be more like the joint manipulation and the kicks. Whereas yes. someone like say Ji Hongjie, one of the other like main founding masters, whatever Hapkido, who was in Game of Death to Bruce Lee, he does some kicks, but it's mostly the joint manipulation and locking that he does in that film. Yeah. So, and obviously Thailand, a lot of those guys, uh, the stunt performers and stuff are very well versed in Taekwondo. They even did a whole movie called The Kick, which mm-hmm. actually wasn't my favorite because it was much more of that tricking type stuff. But, uh, and even Bangkok no- Knockout has some fantastic Taekwondo yeah. kickers in there. So, uh, but as I, like, I do- Taekwondo themed films, I'm going, uh, when Taekwondo strikes, best of the best. Can I, can I ask you about best of the best three? Best of the best because three. I feel, mm-hmm. I feel like that's actually more of a display of in an open setting of at least Philip Reed showing off some great Taekwondo, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going to argue and say it's more because he they're also uh, the, the Reed brothers are also 
black belt ranked, high ranked in Hapkido. And mm-hmm. best of the best three, I feel is much more of a display for Hapkido. He does a ton okay. of the joint manipulation and locks. Yeah, but then a, for at the end of the, therefore at the end of the day, the kicks can be argued either way, right? So it yeah. is a great display of Korean martial arts right there. Yeah. And his uh, kicking. And I love best of the best three. Highly oh, underrated. So I've been trying to find a copy of it because I used to have a taped off the TV copy when I was a kid. <laughs> Um, you have, you, I have like a few fun ones. I'm just going to whittle it down to one. So do you want to ask one more fun one and then I'll do one fun? No, you do one fun and then I'll do okay. one fun. Okay. That sounds like uh, a, a, a Chinese dish. One fun. Yeah. One fun. Um, one fun is dinner, but yeah. Okay. What's a movie that's bombed, critics hated, and still generally regarded as Drek that you genuinely love? Hmm. Wow, great question. So a lot of those ones like are in retrospect, it's become a cult classic. That's the way like it's yeah. w- worded a lot. Ooh, but that like bombed it. So it bombed, so it's, critics it, hated it. Critics hated it. Did terrible it in the box office. Uh, and even the general audience maybe didn't like it. At the time of its release and then it's gained, yeah. Uh, this is wow. not an easy question. It's not an easy question. Because it's hard for me to remember where the critics fell on a movie and mm-hmm. if it did bomb, but I, maybe, maybe I have an idea. Maybe I have an idea for me. Okay. Then you go with your idea first. I'm going to go with Mr. Nice Guy. Oh, okay. Cause I don't remember people, critics loving it necessarily. I think this was before, was it before uh, rush hour? Like a year before? It was right before rush hour. Right before rush hour. Uh, and even at the time, it felt like it was searching for an identity. But I liked it because I just loved the constant movement. And so that I, that's the first one that comes to mind. Because it's easy to like pick out a B movie that kind of bombed, but that I love. I mean, there are a ton of them. But this, as far as like a, 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 an attempt at an A-list movie... I think that's 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 the one for me. For me, the first one that came to mind, and I'm gonna stick with it, is Showdown in Little Tokyo. Great, great choice. Because it was so much so that Warner Brothers was so unhappy with the film, it was supposed to have a full theatrical release, and I mm-hmm. always thought it did. Uh, you know, when I first saw it when I was a kid and stuff. Uh, but and obviously, I saw it years after it came out. But just because of the look and feel of it. But Warner Brothers was so displeased that they it was a limited release. Uh, in the U.S., very limited theatrical release, so it only grossed like four hundred thousand dollars, which is not a lot, right? In fact, I got the numbers right here: uh, <laughs> four hundred fifty-five thousand. <laughs> so, which is very, very limited. And so, it had that it had that limited release. I know they they highly edited it before, and then the critics hated it. As for audiences, I don't know. Obviously, there wasn't they didn't get that much exposure. To the film, yeah. right? So yeah. it's one of those ones over the years, I feel like, has garnered this cult f- following. So for me, that's that's the first example that comes to mind because I, I know just from the history of it, it was supposed to be this big theatrical release. They're like, ugh, not so much. It got limited to a very theatrical one. And then so it's pri- it's this weird in-between where it's not a straight-to-video, but it yeah. wasn't quite a full theatrical either. That, that's, 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 you could also probably say that for Out for Justice, too. Mm. You know, it's like, it's like one of those movies where you can tell that they've pumped money into it. And then for some reason, it didn't really, if I recall correctly, didn't really hit the, the theaters. And I had to rent it from a blockbuster. No, Alfred Justice had a full theatrical. It wasn't a long run, though, was it? It may have not been a long run because yeah. back in the day, or well, even now, like if a film doesn't isn't doing well, like they can pull it. But all of Seagal's 
had the full, you know, yeah, the I, full I just Monty. Felt, I just felt like that one dipped and then uh, Under Siege popped. You are correct, that. though. Uh, I think it was a sign where Under Siege, I shouldn't say saved Seagal, but it was a great bounce back. Yeah. And Out for Justice was like a, a, a foreshadowing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, let's hear it. Okay. So our, the final one, and, uh, this was asked by my wonderful partner, Jessica, if you could bring to life any fictional character from a martial arts movie, Mm. whom would you choose? Oh, I, I, can we guess what each other would choose? I don't know because she asked I'm, me this literally like a minute before we started recording. So okay. I haven't even really thought about it. I was hoping you would start talking and I can uh, think I'm going to start talking. Well, I'm going to guess at a character that you might. Let's, let's take this up a notch. I'm going to guess at a character that you might like to have had real. Um, and you do the same for me. Okay. Okay. Um, oh, man. Uh, I'm going to go with Dakota. Ooh, good. That, that's good. That wasn't going to be my answer, but I think that's a great answer. Uh, that, wow. Yeah, that, that, that would be my guess for you. And then you, you can do a guess for me and then we'll also say our own. Hmm. Okay, so Dakota from the China O'Brien series. Yeah. For you, I'm going to go with Preston Michaels. That's a really good choice. Yeah. And the name did cross. My, the name did cross. <laughs> it would be nice to hang out with him and have a beer. Keep your bloody hands up. <laughs> Hey, you know what? If uh, if uh, if I could do kata with Preston Michaels in a in a gym in Indonesia or Jakarta, I, w- I would be very happy. Well, and see, that's actually closer to what I would pick because what I would want to pick is I'd want to pick a master from one of these movies that could help my skills <laughs> and take me to yeah. that next level. So, okay. hmm, what kind of? So I'm definitely going to pick a, a, a master or a sifu, right? Someone that could uh, really help train my martial arts. So, you know what? I guess in that case, maybe I would do Master Xi'an from the Kickboxer series. Oh, I like that. Because, obviously, he can turn people into world champion kickboxers. And uh, maybe he can help... uh, Teach some things. And he looks like he's fun to hang out with. Absolutely. That's a really great choice. Yeah. Uh, that, that's kind of blowing my mind. Because, uh, uh, hey, I'm selfish. I want I, this person I bring to life. I want them to be able to. Uh, I want it to benefit me. Okay. Uh, so oh, I was going to. Oh. Keep or, going. Keep or, going. Because I got to look at the minute, character. Wait now. a minute. This is. Okay. So now we're crossing into weird territory. I, <laughs> I take that back. I take my answer back. Or no, not necessarily. Maybe it's a tie. I'm going to go with the ghost of Bruce Lee from No Retreat, No Surrender. Ah, <laughs> okay, that's there good. we go. Because okay, that's your super. Okay, you got you got. It's, the, it's a fictional character because it's a fictional portrayal of Bruce Lee, and it's his ghost, right? And so, therefore, I'm getting to hang out with Bruce Lee, but also this fictional character, and then he could teach me Jeet Kune Do, so then I can battle communism. Oh, that's really good. So yeah. I, I um, and by the way, that was a joke. You know, I'm just saying because that's the plot of the movie is Russia versus America. It was the Cold War. So okay. <laughs> Uh, I'm torn between two masters mm-hmm. uh, because I do like this. Uh, I do like the idea um, of having a master. I think one master uh, really taught the fundamentals, but I might be ready ready to to learn some more than just the fundamentals. So I'm going to go with Wang Wa Wang Wa Bo mm-hmm. from Prodigal Son, Ooh. played by Samuel Hung. 
Oh, wow. And, you know, I was thinking, I was like, where was the great, like, Samo Sifu example? And I was thinking of all these other ones where he's the student, but that's great. I think that's yeah. great. Uh, I was, I was going to make a joke and just say, like, a blind stingray. <laughs> but, you know, what's funny is for me, because, so I was thinking from uh, a kickboxing perspective, and then I was thinking from a traditional Kung Fu perspective, right? So uh, I'm going to, okay, I take back the Bruce Lee one because that's not really fair, you know? <laughs> uh, and and you know what? I'm taking back my, because uh, guess what? Nothing's set in stone yet, and we hadn't officially ended the question, and I was on the same path as you. So I'm going to take back Xi'an. You know why? Because I already have the greatest sensei in the world, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham, mm. uh, and I don't need that. So for me, with my interest in, you know, traditional Kung Fu and stuff, I'm going to go with uh, uh, the character of Liang Zhan from Warriors 2, who's another, oh. it's, a, it's another fictionalized version of a real instructor, right? Played by uh, Brian Leung uh, or uh, uh, Liang Karyan, a classic Kung Fu actor. So Warriors 2 is one of my favorite movies. So I'm going to go with uh, uh, Liang Zhan or... Uh, Mr. Tsan, and also I think in, uh, once again, I'm terrible with uh, Wing Chun history, but uh, Liang John is his actual like name, and I think in the English dub, it's Master Tsang. So well, that's that's who I would pick. And I, and I, at one point, a uh, person I was thinking about going with was Lam Chi Ying, uh, but from Mr. Vampire, but mm -hmm. that's just because Mr. Vampire is on my mind today. But I, and I was thinking also, you know, Beggar So from Drunken Master, you know, but mm -hmm. God, the, the cost of booze would be so much. And it'd just be like, dude, dog, I can't buy you wine in a barrel like that. So I'm going to go with uh, Liang John, the, the fictionalized version from Warriors 2, so that I can, you know, learn some good, solid kung fu. That, that's a great, great option. And I guess choice. I could always bring, you know, I could always say Wong Fei Hung from one of those films as well. But that's, that's, that's who I'm sticking with. That's who I'm going with. Okay. I'm locked into. All right. All right. Perfect. Cool, man. So uh, we have some great uh, questions still left over for the next episode. Uh, yeah. Any final thoughts? Uh, I, I love these questions. I, 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 you've been mentioning your friend's name. You had Tiger. You had uh, Sifu Peter. Max. You had Max. Mm -hmm. uh, also participating was Marvin and Ron, and who's goes by War Notes fan on Twitter. Okay. Uh, if Tiger's listening, follow us on Twitter so that I can start to uh, engage with you over there. And uh, obviously, Jessica asked our final question. Yeah, Jessica. That was actually one of the best questions we've had. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So thanks everyone for participating. We got a few more questions. If James is listening, we will get to your question one day. You asked it months ago. Yeah. I think it, that's a great full episode uh, yeah. because it means a lot to us for sure that the yeah. martial ethic and code and Bushido yeah. and so forth. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, great. Okay, episode, well, I'm going to go, I'm go have a beer with uh, Preston Michaels and then do some kata. <laughs> Keep your bloody hands up. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. All right, my brother. Well, I will see you soon. Take care. All right. Peace.